You are listening to the official podcast of First Baptist Church of Cape Girardeau. We are a community of faith, hope, and love located in Southeast Missouri. For more information, visit our website at fbccape.com. This morning we're reading Mark chapter 15, verses 33 through 39. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And one ran and filling a sponge full of vinegar, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that he thus breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. This is the word of the Lord. When I was on staff at Central Seminary, I would occasionally get asked to go preach at at area churches around Kansas City. And one time I got asked to go preach at a little tiny Disciples of Christ Church for their Good Friday service. And when I walked in, there was about 20 people there or so, and there was one woman who immediately when I walked in, she gave me kind of the stink eye. And she started approaching me, and I could tell that she had malice aforethought as she was coming towards me. And she said, are you our preacher tonight? Yeah. I just nodded. She said, I got something to say to you. You better not try to make me feel good. She said, this is a good Friday service. I want to hear about the cross, and you better not try to make me feel good. And in my head, I was thinking, well, yes, ma'am. What came out was, okay. (laughs) Well, this morning... If you came here wanting me to make you feel good, I'm afraid you might be a little disappointed. I'm going to offer to you a confession this morning. Pastors have a hard time preaching on the cross. We have a hard time preaching on the cross because it is such a familiar part of our culture that it can sometimes feel like there's nothing new that needs to be said about it. 
And preachers also have a hard time preaching on the cross because even nominally religious people in our culture think they have an idea of what the cross is about and what happened on the cross. And often they have a half-truth at best. For us here at First Baptist Church, we have been going through the last week of Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem for the past few weeks. Just recapping, on the Sunday, we thought about what happens on this day, Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem triumphantly. The next day, he cleared out the temple. On Tuesday, he sparred with the Pharisees and the scribes over what it means to be God's people. And last week on Thursday, we heard the passage read about when Jesus sat down with his disciples for a last supper and when he was arrested by the temple leadership. Passage and everything has led to this passage from Mark's gospel, Mark's description of what happens on the cross. And eventually I realized I don't need to say anything new. I just need to let the text speak for itself. And I hope that over the past few months, really, while we've been in the gospel of Mark, you've gotten a bit of flavor of what Mark wants to teach us about who Jesus is. Sometimes in church we have this bad habit of taking the different stories of the Gospels and kind of smushing them together where they don't belong. That's how we get nativity scenes around Christmas time that have shepherds on one side and magi on the other, even though the Gospel of Matthew has magi and no shepherds and the Gospel of Luke has shepherds and no magi. And we can do the same thing with the crucifixion. Each of the four Gospels talks about the crucifixion in a different way. And there are things that we need to learn from all four perspectives. The New Testament scholar Raymond Brown wrote a book in 1994 called The Death of the Messiah. And in this book, he talks about how you could line up all four of the gospel accounts of the crucifixion on a spectrum of maybe the raw humanity of Jesus and the divine power of Jesus. And the gospel of John is on this side. Jesus seems to almost float above the ground six inches. And on the cross, he piously and calmly declares, it is finished. And then breathes his last. Well, if John's here, Mark's over here. Mark is on the complete opposite side. We see the human side. And we feel Christ's humanity on the cross. So I, I want to walk through this passage from the Gospel of Mark with you. And I want it to allow us and want it to teach us about what Mark wants us to know about the cross. I want the text to speak for itself. And we sometimes have a hard time doing that with the crucifixion. 
We sometimes want the light of Easter morning to poke into the goodness of Dark Friday. But we need to sit with that darkness. It's good for us. Sometimes we don't need to show up for someone to make us feel good. So I think there are three things that Mark wants us to know about the cross. Mark wants us to know the hopelessness of the cross. Mark also wants us to know the hopefulness of the cross. And Mark wants us to know the victory of the cross. But to get there, we have to start with the hopelessness. So the hopelessness of the cross. Our passage begins with us learning this. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Aloy, Aloy, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, listen, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come down to take him down. Mark tells us that darkness came over the whole land. And in the Bible, darkness is associated with mourning. It's associated with judgment. It's associated with what is called the day of the Lord. When we read that darkness comes over the whole land, we should be attuned that what is about to happen is no ordinary event. The theologian Karl Barth said that the the cosmos had to register the strangeness of this event. Mark wants us to know that Jesus suffered on the cross. Now obviously, we know that Jesus suffered physically. He's been flogged. He's been spat upon. A crown of thorns was crammed onto his head. And then he's crucified. He's crucified naked, by the way. A detail that we often skip over. Christ has been made to be the most vulnerable a human could possibly be. And you'd be hard-pressed to find a worse way to die than crucifixion. Essentially, over an agonizingly long amount of time, your own body weight collapses your diaphragm and suffocates you. Every breath requires you to pull your own weight up, which is difficult if you're tied to the cross, but is utter horror if you are nailed to the cross by your wrist and your feet. And the Roman Empire reserved crucifixion for the worst of the worst offenders. Even Roman citizens who committed a capital crime were given the merciful quick death of decapitation. Crucifixion 
was reserved for the worst of the worst criminals because the empire wanted them on display so that others could see what they had done. Mark wants us to know that Christ suffered physically. But Mark also wants us to know that Christ suffered more than just physical pain. This is a man that we are told in the Gospel of Mark that has been abandoned by his friends. Mark tells us that even the women who come to view the crucifixion stand at a distance. And then, of course, worst of all, Jesus feels the abandonment feels the silence of God. Jesus cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are the only words that Jesus says from the cross in the Gospel of Mark. In theology, this utterance from Jesus is called the cry of dereliction. Dereliction meaning the state of having been abandoned. Now sometimes when we talk about this moment on the cross, we try to soften the blow of what's happening here. And we say things like, well, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's actually quoting from Psalm 22. And it's true. It's true that that line is the first line of Psalm 22. And, and maybe Jesus is referring to that psalm. That psalm begins in suffering and, and ends in victory. It's possible that Christ is quoting from that psalm. But I have a very hard time believing that while Jesus is hanging on the cross with nails in his wrist and feet, he decides he's going to teach a Bible study lesson. I have a hard time believing that. And even if Christ is quoting from Psalm 22, that does not diminish the reality that Jesus in this moment feels that God has turned away from him. I think we try to soften the blow of this moment because we're uncomfortable with that. We're uncomfortable with that level of pain. We're uncomfortable with that level of vulnerability. We are uncomfortable with him being naked. So we cover his shame on our crucifixes. We're uncomfortable acknowledging that even Christ felt abandoned by God. So instead we argue that he's piously quoting scripture. Let's be honest. We don't know what to do with this. We don't know what to do with this level of hopelessness. We don't know what to do with the fact that the Savior of the world feels a sense of abandonment during his death. But out of that hopelessness, out of that abandonment, I, I know it might not make sense right now, but I think there's a glimmer of the good news there. I think there's a, a little flickering light of hope. The Jewish writer Chaim Potok 
published a novel in 1972 called My Name is Asher Lev. In the novel, the young Asher Lev is born into a Hasidic family in Brooklyn. Early in the novel, his family experiences some immense suffering and loss. And Asher is an artist who needs to express himself. He especially wants to try through his art to try to somehow capture the suffering in his own family. Eventually, he comes upon an art museum and he encounters an image that he's never seen before. The crucifixion. He begins to weep in front of the painting. And he becomes obsessed with the crucifixion. And the novel ends with him painting his masterpiece. It depicts the suffering of his own mother. And links it to the anguish and the torment of the crucifixion. And somehow by doing that. Asher is able to put into words the suffering that is experienced by his family. Jesus Christ experienced hopelessness on the cross. But in the midst of that hopelessness, there is good news. Why? Because now no human being in the throes of pain and suffering, no human who is suffering the worst that this life can offer, no human being who feels like in the midst of their pain that God is silent, no human being can say that Jesus does not understand. The theologian William Placker says it well. A Jesus who knew all the while that God was with him, that he would shortly be in paradise, would not have suffered anything like the worst that humans endure. But this Jesus suffers all the fears and the doubts that death brings to many of us, as well as the physical pain. We believe in a Savior That not only is with us in the midst of our pain, but has known the depths of pain itself. On the cross, God found out what it sounds like when God seems silent and distant. And Mark wants us to know that Jesus experienced abandonment on the cross. But... The second thing that Mark wants us to know is that there is hopefulness found in the cross. Mark goes on and says this. Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Mark links this story with the story of Jesus' baptism at the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark. And I want to show you two ways that he does that. First, Jesus gives a loud cry and, and breathes his last. The Greek word there for breathes is pneuma. 
In the baptism story in Mark chapter 1, Jesus comes up out of the water and what descends down upon him? The Spirit of God. The Greek word for the Spirit of God is the word pneumach. Secondly, the curtain. The curtain that Mark tells us is torn is most likely the inner curtain that separated the holy place in the temple from the holy of holies. The holy of holies represented heaven and was the place in the temple where God was believed to be the most present on earth. The curtain that separated the holy from holies from the rest of the temple was likely 80 feet high and was believed to be about 5 feet thick. When Mark tells us that this curtain was torn, he uses the Greek word schizo. And Mark's and Jesus' baptism at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, is the only other time that Mark uses this word. He says this, And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn, schizo, torn apart, and the Spirit, pneuma, descending like a dove on him. As Jesus was coming up out of the waters of baptism at the beginning of Mark's gospel, he saw the skies ripped apart. Why? Because with his ministry, the barrier between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world is done away with. At the end of the Wizard of Oz, there's a moment where Toto tears away the curtain and you see what's really happening that's exactly what's being done here in mark at the death of jesus the curtain that separates the presence of god from the rest of the world is it's being ripped up and by the way notice the great little detail that mark gives us that the temple curtain is torn where from top to bottom. From top to bottom. It's God doing the action here. God is the one removing the separation between heaven and earth. Now a way has been made for access to God that is available to all people. Jew and Gentile. Slave and free. Male and female. This is a sign of hope. Jesus cried on the cross that he felt abandonment and despair while on the cross. And I believe he did feel that. But God has answered. God has answered that cry. And God has said, I am here. And the barrier between this world and my world, between this kingdom and my kingdom, is done. And it is done on the cross. Like Toto tearing away the curtain, how it reveals the truth, this temple curtain being torn reveals this is what's really going on. Heaven and earth are now met together. And they are met together in the person of Jesus Christ, in his life, in his ministry, in his death, and yes, in his resurrection. The third thing that Mark wants us to learn about the cross 
is the victory of the cross. Now when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was God's son. This is the climax statement on the entire gospel of Mark. The entire gospel has been leading us to this moment. Remember how Mark begins his gospel, which is actually the title of the book. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark tells us right off the bat that Jesus is the Son of God. But what's interesting is that no human in the entire Gospel of Mark ever gets that. No human in the entire story ever acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God. Now they see him as a prophet. They see him as a teacher. They see him as a miracle worker. But no human in Mark's gospel ever says, this is the Son of God. No human. But actually, there are two moments in the gospel of Mark where beings do acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. And those beings are demons. Once in Mark chapter 3 and the other in Mark chapter 5. There are two moments in Mark's gospel when Jesus confronts the forces of darkness in this world. And those forces tremble in fear because they understand who this really is. And in both cases, the demons tremble in fear and say, don't do anything to me, son of God. And remember, as we've gone through the Gospel of Mark, we have seen that the Gospel is political. And when I say that the Gospel is political, I don't mean that the Gospel is partisan. I'm not trying to argue that y'all should vote the way that I do, though you should. Instead, I want you to see that the Gospel is not unconcerned with the way that the world is ran. And oftentimes, especially we evangelicals, we have a very bad habit of talking about the gospel as if it's only about what happens after we die and not about what happens in the here and the now. We've already seen that Jesus has had a lot to say about the way the temple is ran in Jerusalem. And he's made it clear that even though the Roman Empire thought that they were the most powerful force in the world, they were actually nothing compared with the power of the gospel. So here, in the gospel of Mark, at this moment, at the foot of the cross, we have a Roman centurion who utters that this is the Son of God, and the only other time in the gospel other than the title, when that title has been used for Jesus, is when it's spoken by demons. So there's a lot of different ways that people talk about this centurion. Most of the time in church we say, oh, he saw the crucifixion and he was converted 
because he saw the crucifixion. This was a Roman centurion. This was a Roman centurion. He saw a thousand crucifixions before this. I don't think he's being converted here. I think he's being exercised. I think the very, yeah, exactly. I think the very moment, I think that Mark is trying to tell us that at the death of Jesus Christ, there is victory over the powers of darkness, both in the spiritual realm and in this realm. We've seen that Jesus challenges the Roman Empire. And that is a way that we can look at the cross. That there is victory found in the cross. The second hymn that we sang in the service. Lift high the cross. The love of Christ proclaim. Till all the world adore his sacred name. Come Christians follow. Where our Savior trod. Our King victorious, Christ, the Son of God. There is so much happening on the cross. There is hopelessness in the cross. But that also means that our Savior has known the depths of that hopelessness and has suffered in solidarity with humanity. And that is good news. There is hopefulness in the cross because God has torn away the barrier between heaven and earth. And because of the cross of Jesus Christ, there's no barrier between you and I having a relationship with the God of the universe. And that is good news. There is victory in the cross because there's nothing in this world as victorious as the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross was the manifestation of God's love for you, for me. I love the way that Paul says it in his letter to the Romans. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God found in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is good news. Finally, more than anything else, I think that Mark wants us to know that as ugly, as torturous as the crucifixion is, at its core, it is a story of love. Not long ago, I took our three kids on a walk around our neighborhood, and it's a pretty daunting task to take all three of them. Our daughter Charlotte was running ahead, and I watched it happen. She, she tripped on a raised piece of concrete, and uh, she hit the pavement hard. And I just ran over to her. She skinned her knee, and she already had a 
pretty big goose egg forming on her forehead. I got down on my knees and, and I just scooped her up in my arms and, and I pressed her against my chest and I just held her there as she screamed and as she cried. I've done this numerous times for numerous kids. There was nothing special about this time but if you're a parent, you know that every once in a while, there's a moment where your strength in that moment just melts. And in that moment, that happened to me. And as she cried, I began to cry. And I just held her, and I just burst into my own tears, and we just held each other crying. And I said, I'm so sorry you fell. I'm so sorry you fell. I'm so sorry you fell. And my oldest son, Henry, came up and he said, Dada, why are you crying? He said, you're not the one who fell. You didn't get hurt. And I said to him, I'm hurt because she's hurt. I'm crying because she's crying. We often think that religion is about us trying to get up to God but the cross is the story where God gets down on his knees and he scoops us up. And the cross is God saying, I'm hurt because you're hurt. I'm crying because you're crying. Pray with me. God, we want to be people who seek you in the cross. We want to be people who know that in the midst of our life, in the darkest times we can know, that you, in solidarity with us, have experienced that hopelessness as well. And we see that on the cross. And God, we know that there's no barrier between you and us. And that is accomplished through the cross of Jesus Christ. And God, we know that no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck us from your hand because the cross is the sign of your victory over the powers of darkness, both spiritually and in our world today. Help us to be people of the cross. In the name of the crucified and the risen Christ, we pray. Amen.